Gregory Shepard, an entrepreneur who's built and sold 12 businesses, a recipient of four private equity awards, TEDx speaker and Forbes author. This is The Boss Podcast with Gregory Shepard. Today's guest is a world-renowned expert in leadership development, a world-class keynote speaker and co-author of the bestseller Trap Tales, Outsmarting the Seven Hidden Obstacles to Success. He is David M.R. Covey. David, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited for this podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's an honor. So I wanted to just get this out of the way. You're the son of Stephen R. Covey, the author of the groundbreaking book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I mean, obviously, you know, your dad was a fundamental author for a lot of people, including myself over the years. You must have picked up some habits from your dad. Which of those habits have stuck from you? I just want to get this out of the way. We're going to talk about you, not your dad, but I just want to get this out of the way. I know people are going to be asking about this. So, I mean, I think of the, all of the seven habits, the most impactful one for me is habit two, which is begin with end in mind. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's really the habit of vision. And I just love the whole concept of that you can create your own life and and you, and you need to have a vision. You know, my father uh, was great with metaphors. He always talked about how all things are created twice. You know, he, he used the metaphor of like building a home. You have the blueprint and it's all created in the blueprint before you even touch the earth. And I really like that about your life, you know, that whatever's happened in the past is over. It's the past. And vision is more important than baggage, our history. And I love the whole idea about re- reinventing your life and becoming whoever you want to be. And that can happen at any stage of your life. So Inc. called you the top innovative speaker on the topic of leadership. So when you talk about leadership, what made you so curious about getting into leadership and what drives you to continue to be a thought leader in that vertical? Yeah, it's a great question, Craig. I think that for me, leadership is kind of the X factor that enables successes to happen and to really, you know, unleash human capital. That's mm-hmm. what my father's mission was about, was unleashing human capital. If he were to describe his mission in three words, it was unleash human potential. So I've always been fascinated with that. I've always enjoyed reading about and studying leaders. You know, I've recently been on this kick of reading all about the founding fathers of of America and reading their stories and Washington and Jefferson and uh, John Mm. Adams. I'm really, really interested in this whole notion of of leaders, you know, being the X factor. When I say X factor, I'm meaning being the, the catalyst for being the difference not only for an organization, but for a family and, and also for your own life. You know, just learning to, learning to lead and your own life is, is critically important as well. I don't know. I, I grew up with it. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I enjoy reading biographies of, of, of great leaders and distilling kind of the key principles that they take with them in terms of their leadership style and approach. So what, let me ask you something. What is your favorite leadership style and approach? And second part of that is, how do you recognize a great leader? So if you're sitting there and you're saying, these are the elements that make great leadership, and these are the specific elements of a great leader that I appreciate most, how would you answer that? So I would answer that the great leaders are those that inspire trust and those that inspire other people to reach their potential. I think a lot of 
the old style leadership is the command and control leader. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that we still have carrot and stick. Yeah, carrot and stick. You know, and it just yeah. doesn't work that way. You know, people want to be inspired. They want to be trusted. They want to be unleashed. And that's what a great leader does is they unleash human potential because everybody has greatness within them. They really do. And, and we're, not, we're not always good at everything that we do. Uh, we all have weaknesses, uh, but we all have strengths as well. And, and the role of a great leader is to find out those strengths of those members of your team, those individuals that are on your team. And find a way to how to how to unleash their potential. Leadership is really more about clearing the path. It's more about trusting people, not blindly, you know, but uh, mm-hmm. earn trust. And then it's about inspiring them to become their best. It's funny because I interviewed the coach of the Miami Heat, and he was talking about leadership also. And he was talking about blocking and tackling. He was like the same sort of thing. The guy with the ball needs to be protected until the ball moves to somebody else. And the yep. objective is to get the ball in the hoop, regardless of who gets the ball in the hoop, everybody wins. And I also wanted to bring up a little bit more about this book that you wrote, Trap Tales, Outsmarting the Seven Obstacles to Success. This yes. is a must read for anybody. I actually just read it for the first time when I started talking to you a few months ago. And I would really like you to sort of talk about this a little bit because I found it to be really fascinating, especially trapologists. Um, which you mentioned in there. So this is one of my favorite topics. So thank you for bringing this up, Greg. I I love talking about this. I'm very interested, you know, the American German uh, psychologist, Kurt Lewin had a model called force field analysis. And he said, anytime you try to enact change, you always have driving forces. You know, those are like initiatives, things that you do. At the same time, you also have restraining forces. Those are the obstacles, or I like to call those the traps that get in the way. And I think a lot of times when we're focused on trying to get something done or achieving a goal or reaching a vision, we spend too much of our time on the driving forces and not enough of our time on the restraining forces. And I believe that by focusing more on the restraining forces, the traps, the obstacles that get in the way, we'll be able to be more successful in our life and be able to reaching you know, our goals or vision. So, you know, my father, you know, was known obviously and famous for the seven habits, I'm focused on the seven traps. And these are the seven traps that we fall into at work. I I call them the workplace traps. These are the modern common traps that keep us and prevent us from reaching our vision or achieving our goals. They're the culprits that get in the way. It's kind of a whole different way of looking at it. You know, instead of adding another initiative or adding another driving force, I'm really focused on what are the restraining forces. It's kind of like a brake. You know, if you're driving a car and you have one foot on the accelerator and the other foot on the brake, the way to get out of that situation is not by putting your foot harder on the accelerator. The way to improve that situation is by taking your foot off the brake. And mm. that's, that's really what the traps are about is where do we have our foot on the brake keeping us and you know, from progressing and like and, holding and, ourselves almost like a exactly, headwind, holding right? ourselves back. And these are very common traps that we have, but they're the reasons why we're not being as successful as, as, as we'd like to be. Do you mind going through the traps? 
I'd and love to. Then we can yeah. dig into a couple of them. I, I, I thought when I, when I read it, I was doing the audiobook and I was like, this is really, I actually sent it to everybody. I was like, this is really good because I never thought of it that way. I always thought of uh, horse blinders on and the obstacles are the things when you take your mind off the goal kind of stuff. And then I realized, yeah. hold on a second, subconsciously and even consciously, we're holding ourselves back. And I realized that reading your books, I think it'd be really helpful for these entrepreneurs and investors that are listening to, uh, to hear about this. Yeah, absolutely. So we invented the word, my uh, co-author, Stefan Mardiks, who's also my business partner, we invented the word called trapologist. So a trapologist is a person or a leader who detects and avoids workplace traps and helps others do the same. So there's seven traps. Of course, you can't be a covey and have like nine traps or five traps, right? You got to have seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, when we started this, you know, Stefan and I, we started to work on this. We had more than seven. We had like 30, but we wanted to whittle it down to like the seven most modern and common traps. So the first three traps are related to yourself. That We call them the you traps. The first trap is busyness. And you can imagine the world we live in today. We're drowning in the thick of thin things. When I say thin things, these are things that are not really important. They're not essential. Uh, but there's absolutely a huge problem uh, currently uh, with the busyness trap. Then you have the procrastination trap. That's idling in the status quo. So many of us know some changes that we need to make. And we're very aware. So it's not about not having the knowledge. It's about not acting on that knowledge and, and, and taking action. And so it's the procrastination trap that a lot of us face. The third trap is the ego trap. And that's where we try to maintain this facade of perfection. And this has even become even more pronounced in the world of social media. You know, have you ever, ever you know, I'm sure you look at <laughs> social media like I do. And sometimes you look at people and, and you think, wow, they're always on vacation. They're always wearing the perfect clothes and they're beautiful. They, they don't ever seem like they have any problems. You know, it's just like, wow, yeah. what a life. You know, my, my life is so boring and ordinary compared to them. But in reality, you know, it is a little bit of a, of a facade. And we try to maintain this uh, facade of perfection. So anyway, those are the three uh, traps that are related to busyness, uh, procrastination, and ego that relate to you. David, I wanted to jump to the money trap. What is money myopia and why is it so dangerous? The money trap is debt and debt is just so terrible because it, it, it just kind of dominates our whole life. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of uh, millennials, as you know, that uh, are a lot more conservative than like a Gen Xer. I'm a Gen Xer, you know, just because they went through the Great Recession, you know, in, in 08 and 09. And, uh, and now they have the coronavirus, you know, to deal with and, uh, and they have a lot of debt, you know, have a lot of school debt. And, mm -hmm. uh, I try to help people get out of the debt trap, you know, which is this, uh, this life of servitude, you know, to paying interest for your whole yeah. life. And, yeah. and you really kind of have to make up your mind and just say, look, I, I understand, you know, you have some maybe, you know, big decisions to make, you know, like going to school or purchasing a house, you may have to take on education debt and a mortgage, but you got to decide right now that, uh, you know, are you going to be a person that's going to be paying interest most of your life? Or are you going to be a person who is going to be earning interest most of your life? Uh, Albert Einstein called compound interest. He said it was the eighth wonder of the world. <laughs> and when we are in the debt 
trap and where we're just paying debt, you know, most of our lives. And I think a lot of Americans, unfortunately, uh, it's not just Americans, but, you know, a lot of other people as well, they kind of get into debt and they just see that as being part of their lives. And yeah, absolutely. And they end up spending Big most time. of their yeah. life, you know, just paying on interest, uh, you know, which, which, which is totally crazy. You know, we, yeah, we need to my be parents lived in debt their entire life. And I remember they, hearing them yeah. talk about it. Yeah. Let's move on to this focus trap. I, I really like this. So <laughs> I was really interested in this. I, I really like the subject of focus. So you say the best things in life take time. How do you deal yeah. with the world getting faster and more demanding and demanding immediate gratification? It's a great question. The technology benefits that we have is awesome. Again, I'm, I'm not one to poo-poo on that at all. It's just, it's great. But to build a successful marriage, to build a successful business, to build a, a, you know, a successful uh, country or company, it takes time. It just doesn't happen overnight. And I think mm -hmm. that sometimes we always hear the stories of the success stories, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But for all those success stories, you know, even those people that were successful, they'll tell you about all the failures that they had along the way. They'll tell you all of the disappointments they had al along the way, the lessons that they learned. So I think sometimes we overglorify these quick success stories and we think, you know, why, why is that not happening to me? But if you really talk to any of these people that have achieved any measure of success, material success, you know, financial success, uh, you will realize that that it didn't happen overnight, that there was a lot of work, a lot of effort that went into it, and just doesn't magically appear. It's not an accurate perception to think that you can just show up and do a few things and immediately have instant success. And I know it's a whole new concept because, you know, I, I have I have a bunch of kids, you know, that can get immediately get answers, you know, to any questions that they want. And that's awesome, you know, with what we had. And so mm -hmm. they sometimes translate that into thinking, well, why, why shouldn't I just be given, you know, instant success? So we have to look at failure in a different way than how we've looked at it in the past. I think in the past, we look at failure as something to to be ashamed of or uh, or not to, you know, not to talk about it or. Uh, to kind of sweep it under the uh, under the rug, and I think we actually let, should look at failure as a key part of what enables us to be successful. I love uh, some of the quotes by Jeff Bezos, you know, the current CEO of uh, of Amazon, you know, creator of Amazon, and he talked about how experimentation and failure are very much part of the culture of Amazon and always has been, and 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 he even says, you know, that. If you know in advance it's going to work, then it's not an experiment. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so any of the great successes and the great leaders and, and the great people that have achieved financial success uh, and material success, they'll tell you that uh, it just didn't happen overnight and required a lot of work, a lot of effort, following correct principles and a willingness to kind of stick to it and follow through and, and, and persevere. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I know about the, I mean, the patience thing is huge, right? I mean, I've, I started my first business, like real business when I was 19 and I'm 52, right? So it took, it took me a long time. And I had this mentor who once told me that, you know, you're climbing a ladder and when one of the tongs on the ladder breaks, 
you know, you, you might fall and hit your face and you fall a few more, but now you fix it and you're a little more delicate next time. And Absolutely. eventually you climb the ladder. To your point, I think that the concept of failure is is incredibly important. I mean, I I try to fail all the time. I mean, when I was for a long time, I was into lifting weights, and and uh, it's all about failure, work to failure. And it was one of the places I learned the power of failure. The power of failure builds muscles and builds intelligence and wisdom. So I totally agree with you, a hundred percent. I wanted to move into you graciously offered to talk about the seven. Uh, obstacles for management teams. And I just wanted to get on those traps and then go into the traps that management teams have. So we could talk about that a little bit. I think it'd be really beneficial for folks. Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned the three traps around you, busyness, procrastination, and ego. Then there's three traps that relate. Again, these are workplace traps. So these three traps that relate to your interactions with other people or with your team. And these are very common traps that we see in the workplace today. The first one is the trigger trap, and that's allowing emotion to taint your perspective. All of us have certain triggers, things that set us off at work, and a lot of times we don't have a plan on how we're going to manage those triggers when we are set off at work, which is a big problem because then we have like a, you know either a major disaster. Most of the approaches are a fight or flight kind of mentality you know, which is a, a fighting mentality is, can be very negative uh, trigger. Mm -hmm. And then a flight is, it can even almost be worse. I spent a lot of time living in Japan and I can tell you the passive aggressive approach can almost even be worse than the conflict because you can't even understand what's happening. You know, it's just, it's all underneath. <laughs> it's, uh -huh. it's behind the so screen. one is where you're combative and the other one is where you sort of roll over. Or, or you actively avoid, you know, you just never take mm -hmm. on the big issues, you know, you just try to sweep them under the rug. And of course, they're mm -hmm. never swept under the rug because they come out later in uglier ways. So we have this triggers, things that, you know, that trigger us, you know, that we need to get control over. So that, that, that's, that's the first one. The second one in the team traps is the silo trap. And that's where we operate as an independent on a team. And so many of us work on a team and we're supposed to work interdependently but we still operate very independent. Uh, we operate as if we're not part of a team, as if we're working just separately on the project. Interdependence is a very, very hard concept. There was a, a study done that said, how many people think that teams are important? 94% of the people said, yes, teams are important. And then the next question was, how many of you like to work on a team? And 75% said, no, I don't like to work on a team. So hmm. we think that teams are very huh. important, but not for us, you know, it's not yeah. for us. And, and it's very hard for us to work interdependently, you know, because we think that we know better our way of doing things, you know, is the better way of doing it. And we also believe we have this concept that working with others will slow us down. That I hear all the time. I, yeah. I love working with other people, but I like executing alone. So it's, it's kind of, but you're right. Most people don't want to work with other people. And, and most of the time I have to, you know, in the racy model, I have to make sure that everybody looks at the consultant and say, all right, who else should be making this decision with you? I mean, collect all the information, then make the decision. But I think that you make a really good point. And that statistic is just, just fascinating, but it it's totally hilarious. makes sense. Teams are yeah. important, but not for me. 
Yeah, <laughs> it totally makes sense in our portfolio companies. You know, they're like, you know, let, I want you guys to collaborate on this. And then you come back and we collaborated and then you ask them individually, go, no, he never talked to me. Yeah. <laughs> so it's you fascinating. You're right. A, you have this in a, in a marriage as well, where we operate as a married single. You know, we get married and we're supposed to now be a we, we're supposed to be a team, but instead we continue to operate like we're a married single. You know, we're married, uh -huh. but we operate like we're still single. And that's a, so it's a problem also uh, in, in a marriage. Anyway, the, the, the third trap uh, as related to uh, teams is, is called the settling trap. And that's where we're losing the passion and inspiration in our professional work. If you look at the engagement scores, they've been doing it for 30 years now where they're measuring engagement at work. And there is massive disengagement. A lot of people are you know, highly disengaged. Some are somewhat disengaged. But overall, globally, not just in the United States, all over the world, we have this massive disengagement. People are not engaged or happy in their jobs. And it's because one of the one or two or three or four of the needs that are not being met. And we, and we have four needs as it relates to our work life. The, the first need we have is, is to be paid fairly. Uh, and the second need uh, that we have is that are, you know, to be used or mind to be used creatively. And the third need is, is that we have this need for having passion for our job and for the work that we do. And then the fourth need is, uh, is what I call spiritual need is the need to, to contribute, the need to make a difference, the need that you matter, you know, that your life yeah. is contributing and that it matters. And if and and the reason why we have this massive disengagement in the workplace, most of the time it's not the money. People don't leave their jobs because of the money. They leave because they don't like their boss. You know, they fire their boss because their boss, you know, has a command and control leadership style. You know, they don't trust them. They don't inspire them. They don't clear the path for them. They don't mm -hmm. provide ways to unleash their potential or challenge them or challenge them. Yeah. And, 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 and a lot of the, you know, the, the challenges, you know, that comes to your mind you, where you feel like, hey, you know, the company cares about what I think and will listen to my ideas. And if you're asked, you know, never to share your ideas or, or when you do share your ideas, no one listens to them or it's just discounted or disregarded, what are you going to do? You know, you're just going to say, forget it. You know, the company mm -hmm. doesn't care about me, doesn't care what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to find my pleasure and joy outside of the workplace, you know, not at work. Yeah. So anyway, you have a lot of people that have already settled. They're settling in jobs because they need it financially to support themselves and their families, but they hate it. They don't, they don't have passion around it. They don't feel like they're being utilized and they don't feel like they're making a difference. Yeah, it's, it's true. I was talking to a mentor of mine in leadership and he was like, look, that person that works at your company right now that you think is not working very hard or lazy or whatever, that same person when they get off of work is the coach of a baseball team. These people work really hard. They're running marathons. They're doing a lot of things that's contrary to what you think about them. So the problem isn't theirs. It's yours. That's an interesting way of thinking things. And when I heard that, I was like, wow, that's crazy. So I did a survey when the last business I owned, I did a survey and I asked people, about personal things like, do you do this? Do you do that? What was the last thing you've done that's incredible? And it was really amazing to me how many people answered questions with things that I was like, wow, you have to be motivated and driven and have focus and enthusiasm and optimism to do something like that. 
And yet at work, you know, there's somebody that's on the chopping block. So you ask yourself, who's failing who? Exactly. And, and I would argue that it's the leaders that are failing. A leader has three main roles. The first role is they need to model the behavior they want to see. You know, that, that's really who you are. And mm. then they, they need to have a philosophy of trusting people. Mm. That's how you lead. Abraham Lincoln said, I would rather trust people and be disappointed every once in a while than never trust and be miserable all the time. <laughs> That's brilliant. And so uh, a lot of people think that trusting people is Pollyannish and you're naive and you're going to be taken advantage of. Not, not true. It's not, it's not mm. blind trust, but you need to extend trust to people. Think about anybody in your life that believed in you and trusted you and extended trust and told you something about yourself about your potential that you didn't even believe in yourself, you would run through brick walls for that person. You know, yeah. you would do anything that you could to not disappoint that person. And that's what happens is that when we trust somebody, they are willing to just show you their best self and give their best effort. And then the third thing that we need to do, so we, we need a model, we need to trust, and we need to inspire. David Brooks, the New York Times columnist, you know, had a book, great book called The Social Animal. And mm -hmm. in it, he just talked about how human beings have the need to understand the why. It's not a matter of just getting people say, hey, you know, do this, do that. You need to connect them with the why, you know, why it's important, why it matters. And that's what, you know, when we inspire our people, then we help them see the why. Not only the what, but the why, why we're doing it. I use an example and it said, you know, when I teach this course, I say, let's say that I was going to pay you. $200,000 for digging a hole six feet deep and then filling it up again. Now I have one requirement. You can't ask me any questions as to why you're doing it. Just know that I'm going to pay you that money. You're going to, you're going to make good money and, but you can't ask me any questions. Well, I would tell you, Greg, that somebody would do that for a while. They may do it for a month, may do it for two months, may even do it for a year. After a while, they're going to go crazy. You know why? Because they want to know why they're doing it. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And the fact that they're just making good money is not enough. They need to understand the why, the purpose behind things. And that's what we need to do as, as, as great leaders is give our employees, our teams, the why. Why? You know, here's what we're doing and here's why we're doing it. You know, mm -hmm. here, here's why it matters and why your contribution is going to be so needed and required for us to achieve this. And when people understand the why, wow, they're able to move heaven and earth to make things happen. David, I hate to do this, but we have to stop right here. But when we come back for part two of my conversation with David M. R. Covey, David tells us what he thinks made Steve Jobs a great leader. I love Steve Jobs in terms of his leadership that he showed around focus, incredibly mm -hmm. focused person. Now, I don't think he's necessarily was a necessarily a nice guy or not even a nice, a, a great boss. He wasn't. But man, that guy learned how to focus. Thanks for checking out the Boss Podcast with Gregory Shepard. Get more on Greg's business operating support system, Boss, at GregorySheppard.com. This has been a production of Forbes Books Radio. Forbes Books Radio.